Hello, community family. My name is Eric Dorsey, and I serve as a community freedom pastor. Before your teaching pastor comes to give you the message, I just wanted to take just a moment to tell you why today's message is so important to me personally. You see, I believe that my personal story is an example of how the power of God's love can bring healing and reconciliation to churches and communities. See, over the past several years, it's been interesting for me to see the reaction of people to the issues of race and to see how many people have this newfound awareness of the impacts of racism. But for me as a black man, my awareness of the impacts of racism did not begin in the past five to 10 years. My awareness has been shaped by stories that were passed down from generation to generation in my family, from my own personal experiences and from firsthand accounts of tragic and unfortunate events from other people of color. You see, I didn't learn about racism from historical events that are just now being revealed to the masses on social media. But learning about certain historical events did confirm what I already knew. It confirmed that the experiences of my parents and grandparents were common shared experiences among people of color. The fact that I represent the first generation in my family that was born with the full rights of an American citizen says a lot about the oppression of many people of color in this nation. Now, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic because the truth is, is that most of my encounters and relationships with people in the dominant culture have been positive and at the very least cordial and respectful. However, the truth is that I've had dozens of experiences that have made me feel hated, unappreciated, dismissed, patronized, and in some cases even feared for my life, all because the color of my skin. And over time, I think I learned how to mentally and emotionally protect myself when I found myself in all white spaces that I perceive to be unpredictable. I learned how to assimilate and at the same time, hide parts of my true self to protect myself from triggering comments. What I didn't realize is that this process was causing me to cover up the trauma from my own past. So three years ago, when I was hired at Community Christian Church, it was an exciting time for me because I have a passion to help people find their way back to God. But if I'm totally honest, I was a little bit apprehensive because this was the first time I'd be working in a ministry environment that was predominantly white. My life has trained me to be mentally prepared to run into someone that didn't understand me, that wouldn't appreciate me, or possibly even say something offensive. Because after all, part of my job is to facilitate difficult conversations about race and justice from a kingdom perspective. So it wasn't like I had the choice to opt out of uncomfortable conversations about race. But what I have found is working on staff here at Community has been healing for me in so many ways. I've seen so many of my coworkers be intentional about trying to understand the issues of race in our nation and in our churches. And together, we're working together to confront the injustices that so many people have experienced. This has created an environment where I have felt safe, where I felt seen and even appreciated for who I am and my cultural perspective. Simply put, this has made me feel loved. And this is what the church is supposed to be about. You see, I believe the church is called to speak on issues of justice and reconciliation, not because we align with certain political perspectives, 
but simply because we're called to love people that are made in God's image and likeness. So before I go, I just want to lovingly challenge all of us to lean into this message today because you never know how God could use you to heal someone who has been damaged by the sin of racism. May God empower all of us to love one another beyond our cultural comfort zones. God bless you. Indeed, indeed. How are you doing this morning, community? Good, good, good. Um, I am so grateful for Eric Dorsey. He is a friend and a colleague and has personally challenged me as well, as well. And he's helping all of us at community really lean into this issue of racial solidarity. And remember the word solidarity. It's what I want you to be wrestling with this morning. Solidarity means standing with and listening to and empathizing with black, indigenous people of color, BIPIC for short. And I want you to know that pursuing racial solidarity is something that like, we're really passionate about at Community. This isn't just because it's a sign of the times or it's going on now. I regret and I lament the heightened sensitivity to these issues, but there's also an opportunity here for all of us, especially those of us who are following Jesus, because Jesus puts a priority on this. Following Jesus is not necessarily easy, nor does it always coincide with the culture. But Jesus is very clear. And what I want to do is kind of wrestle with the consequences of these injustices that have been passed along from generation to generation. Biases that have resulted in racial conflict and challenges. So... Here's the rule this morning, and then I'm going to introduce myself. When you feel yourself getting a little, eh, I want you to take your hand and just rub your tummy. Go ahead, just rub your tummy. Let me see you. Let's practice. There you go. It'll make you feel better, right? It makes you smile when you rub your tummy, doesn't it? It's hard to rub your tummy and not smile, okay? My name is uh, Patrick O'Connell, and I get to be the global director of New Thing. And now whether you know it or not, you are a part of New Thing, New Thing is a catalyst for church planting movements all over the world. And so I want to say thank you for your partnership in that. We help plant churches just like this one for people just like you, and we're doing that all over the world. Secondly, I found my way back to God at Community. I grew up very, very far from God, had no interest in the church, and had this radical season where I came to faith. And so I love Community. I'm a church planter. And my wife is from the north side. We lived in Lincoln Square when we were first married. I, I worked in the city for years. In fact, Belmont, this whole area right up here, used to kind of be the alternative hangout. And I might have spent a few days or weeks over at the Red Lion, all in, you know what I'm saying? And all in over the time of years that I was there. Um, let me start with a story. I want to talk about a deer with a fence in her head. Can we talk about a deer with a fence in her head? Um, this is taking place in what is the former area of the Iron Curtain, going back about 20 years before the fall of communism. If you remember that Eastern Europe and Western Europe were separated by the Iron Curtain, and there was a physical fence that straddled, that kind of bifurcated Germany from what is today the Czech Republic. And there's a forest in that fence, there's a forest between those countries, and in that forest are a bunch of red deer. Well, the physical fence comes down in 89, but when biologists began studying the red deer in this forest, 
they noticed, this was about 2002, they noticed that in the forest, the deer on the German side weren't migrating over to the Czech side. Same forest, physical fence had been gone for 18 years. 18 years. This little deer, they put a, gal, a, a GPS collar on her to track her movements. They tracked her 11,000 times in Germany, not one time in the Czech Republic. No physical fence. She wasn't even alive when the fence went up, but somehow she would never cross the border. And they studied this, and they, they really couldn't come up with an answer. They were even more befuddled by the fact that on the Czech side, there was like a deer park. It was like Disneyland for deer. You know, like she should go there. There was water and food and other deer to frolic and play with, and she wouldn't do it. It was crazy. And this wildlife filmmaker named Tom Sinaczki, which is a great Polish name, who often works in the area, said that the wall in her head is still there. And let me just be painstakingly clear as we start this talk today. I don't say that or tell that story to negate the experiences of people of color. In fact, quite the opposite. I want to validate those experiences those traumatic and painful experiences that many people of color have faced. And I want to invite those of us in the majority culture to open our ears and to listen well and understand. And we're going to talk about some habits that I think can help us move forward. And that's why I'm so excited about this series, Become Like Jesus. It's, it's one of the reasons we believe that this series is so vital at the start of 22 as we're facing the times that we do. Because, guys, Jesus is not in the business of just passing along some good information to us and letting us go about our business. He's actually interested in you, and he's actually interested in transforming us and the world around us. But to do that... We've got to be willing to challenge ourselves. We've got to be willing to go there. We've got to be willing to be honest about our behaviors, about where the church is, about where people are who call themselves Christians. Because at the end of the day, I want my life, and I suspect you want yours, to align really tightly with Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. And we all know, I mean, it kept me away from the church for years is people who talk about following Jesus, but their lives look a lot different over here. And that's the sad truth. Too many of us, too many of those calling themselves Christians, live lives that are essentially indistinguishable from the culture. They're no more generous. They're no more outgoing. They're no more tolerant of these issues that we're going to talk about this morning. And that is not cool. That is not cool at all. Too many of us who follow Jesus and claim that he is our Lord and Savior, we bring our biases or our latent racism or our ignorance to the table. And those things have real effect on real people, our, our bipic people, the people that we're talking about. These realities remind us that we can be committed to these external things all we want, but the real wrestling match goes on in my heart and in yours about what it looks like to follow Jesus and listen to him about these issues. There's a book that's informed all of our thinking on the series. It's by Rich Velotis. He's a pastor in New York. He's got a great story. And he writes this, Instead of being deeply formed, 
we settle for being shallowly shaped. I don't want that. You don't want that. We want to be deeply formed people who respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in an authentic and truth and loving way that makes a real difference in the lives of people because that's what God's interested in. God's interested in racial solidarity and many other issues because he's interested in transforming us, the whole person of us. It's not like you and I can just bring little bits of our lives to Jesus, the bits that we want, the bits that we're willing to maybe change. No, he's interested in the whole thing, the whole person, your whole entire being, until Christ is formed in you, like the scriptures say. So, to start, Jesus taught us the value of racial solidarity. Not only did he cross all of these lines personally, the cultural barriers, the barriers of race, the barriers of gender, the barrier of socioeconomic class, in choosing his initial 12, his small group, his little tribe of guys, if you will, he set an example for us that I want to explore with you about what it looks like for us to walk together in solidarity and seek solidarity. Can we do that? by talking about Jesus and some of these first followers. Now, the first 12 that followed Jesus, the first 12 people that he called, go back to the Gospels and read it yourself, they're all Jewish. But he couldn't have picked a more unlikely group of fellows, if you ask me. It's a litany of good and bad when you look at the list of Jesus' early followers. Matthew, the tax collector, turns follower of Jesus, we're going to talk about him, and he informs us in the gospel of Matthew who these 12 were. These are people just like us. Let me read you their names. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, we're going to talk about him, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And I want to talk about two of these guys, because I think it's apropos for our conversation this morning. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot. Now what you have to understand about the setup here is that during the occupation, the Romans are occupying Palestine. They are forcing taxes from the people, but the Romans don't go to the people to tax them, they hire other Jews who tax the people, skim a little off for themselves, and then send the Romans what they want to be taxed. So you have Matthew the tax collector who is in cahoots with the Roman occupiers who is fleecing his own people. That's number one on the list. And then you have Simon the zealot. And Simon's like one of those guys like, revolution now, brick by brick, it's all coming down. You know, he's like one of those guys, right? He's all agitated. You can't talk to him about any issue without him getting excited. Like, let's just fight him. You know, that's what he wants. And yet these two guys are a part of Jesus' intimate circle. Intimate circle, intimate. They spent lots of time with one another. And I can't help but asking myself, what did Matthew actually think about the zealot and vice versa? I mean, why is Jesus inviting a tax collector into his inner circle? And if you're Matthew, you're like, really? We're going to have this excitable guy who wants to start revolutions in our tribe too? 
It's a very unlikely group of people who are diverse in what they look like. And they spend three years with Jesus. And these, these are men that deeply are deeply formed by Jesus. They're, they're hanging out. They're walking from village to village. They're doing life together. This is not just like, hey, we saw you last month. How's things going? They're living and breathing and doing life together. They're in solidarity together. And Jesus continues his work of solidarity through the church. And there's a story that you find in the book of Acts, which is fascinating. It's kind of psychedelic, so hang on with me a moment. But it's a fascinating story. Because one day, Simon Peter, that same Simon Peter that we talked about, who is one of the 12, he's on his roof and he's praying. This is what I do when I go home, right? I pray on my roof, don't you? Right? Well, back in those days, that's where it was cooler. So they would go up onto the roof and pray. And he's on the roof and he has a vision. And the vision is kind of weird, but stick with me. I'm going to help you understand it. It's a sheet. And the sheet is being held by four corners. And the sheet comes down, right? And on the sheet, as it gets into his range of view, are animals, all sorts of animals, but that law-abiding Jewish people who are holding themselves true to the Jewish dietary laws would never eat. They would never touch these animals that are on the sheet. And... Peter hears this voice, <laughs> psychedelic, like I said, says, this is okay for you to eat now, Peter. What? These are all the animals that, I, that for hundreds of years Jews haven't eaten. How can we possibly, how can they possibly be clean now? And a voice, a literal voice says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call it impure. Now, at first, Peter can't believe what he's hearing, right? Three times this happens, and then he hears a knock at the door, right? Catching this whole thing? It's a whole scene going on here, right? And there's three guys at the door downstairs. So he goes downstairs after having this mind-blowing vision, and there's three guys there, and they have been sent by Cornelius, a Roman centurion in another village, who also had a vision, and Cornelius sends these guys to go fetch Peter because that's what he was told to do in his vision. Are you tracking with me? Right? This is what you want on a Sunday morning. Visions and animals and sheets defending from the sky, right? Now you might think, well, of course, Peter's going to go. Peter's going to go to this village because he wants to see more people find their way back to God. He's one of Jesus' pals. That's what they do, right? Jesus and his pals are all trying to evangelize people. But not for a moment should we consider it easy for Peter to go. He has a great multitude of reasons not to go, actually. Number one, Cornelius is not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. And Jews and Gentiles, you don't mix them. They don't go together, okay? Secondly, Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's an officer in the Roman army. So for those reasons, Peter could have just said, nah, <laughs> nah. That's a tough mission. I'm not going to do that one. 
But Peter does go. Peter does go. And he enters Cornelius' home. And after Cornelius explains to those, to all gathered, Cornelius calls his whole household, this man Peter is coming, and we're all going to listen to him. Imagine getting everybody to your house, ready to go to listen to these new visitors that you have never met, and they talk, and Cornelius shares, and Peter shares, and there's this community built. And Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And all, the Bible says, all of Cornelius' household find the way back to God and are baptized on that day. And they are the first non-Jewish Christians that we know of in the scriptures. You can, you can make a case that if Peter hadn't crossed those racial and cultural and economic lines, maybe you and I wouldn't even be here. Maybe the Jesus mission would have been snuffed out right there in Palestine all those years ago. Rich Velotis writes, God is not simply in the business of saving souls. It's one part of the gospel. He is also in the business of creating a new family. A family. Over and over, the Bible talks about a spiritual family, that we come from our diversity, from our different tribes and tongues and classes, but in Christ, we are a family. You are my sister, and you are my brother, and vice versa. And that's what God is at work at in the world here today. So how do we become more like family? How do we actually witness to the world as a family who loves each other and who is on mission and aligned with Jesus. Habits. I want to help you with some of these habits. The first habit is to remember. We cannot, we cannot seriously understand the current reality of racism in our country, nor take and, and, and understand how people feel about this issue unless we are willing to remember, that is, go back and understand the history of the United States. You can't do it. History informs everything. Way back in the day, I used to be a history teacher at Lincoln Park High School. History is really important. And so we have got to remember so that we can unlearn some of the things that we've learned through the years about our history. Now, let me be clear. I love the United States. I'm a former army soldier. I love it. But we have to be honest about the mixed reality of race in America. It's both a bad and a sad story at the same time. Now, that's just being honest. It doesn't mean I hate our country. It doesn't mean that you hate your country. It means that we're going to be honest about who we are. We're not going to lie to one another. We're not going to deny these realities. We're going to lean in, and we're going to be honest. And that's a good place to start. And so one of the things that have um, really challenged me personally is being honest about my own biases, my own things that I bring to this conversation. We all have stories. We all have been informed by our parents and our grandparents and our cultural backgrounds. But I have to wrestle with it as Patrick. I have to wrestle with it as Patrick, a Christ follower, and I have to look back at the history of our country through those lens, and that's the first habit. The second habit is to listen. We cannot move forward in racial solidarity unless we listen well. 
We can't be offended. We can't be, bring our opinions up first. The first thing you should do is what James counsels us of, what I try to counsel myself as, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? But unfortunately, it feels like in our culture, in our society at the time, all of that has been reversed. It sounds like to me these days, everybody's offended about something. But we have to listen, especially to the BIPIC people of uh, uh, black, indigenous, and people of color and understand their stories. We can't just infer that we understand it. Some of the most profound conversations that I've had about this issue has been with my son-in-law. I'm a recent granddad. Yes, can you imagine? Yeah. And so little Ezra, my, my daughter's a nurse in St. Louis, and my son-in-law is African-American. My, my daughter and my son-in-law are, are interracial couple. And so my grandson is a little black dude right now, right? The most important thing I can do is listen and understand Stephen, my son-in-law. Hear his story, understand the stories that have come back and his experiences. That's what I mean by the power of listening. I was a part of the undivided cohort. You're going to have an opportunity to join the undivided cohort as a next step of this message. But undivided is an opportunity for us to get together with people unlike ourselves from other races and cultures and backgrounds and really listen to their stories. Stories are powerful. If you listen to people's stories, they will tell you their pain points, their challenges, their hopes, their dreams, their opportunities. Let's listen. Rich Velotis reminds us, the work of solidarity is not so that we can despise ourselves or others, but that we listen and live humbly and incarnationally. That's a theological word. That, proce that, that, that processes... That process see the image of God in one another. Sorry about that. What might we learn if we really listen? What might we learn if we understand our neighbor's hurt and pain? Maybe we can then enter into a deeper place of racial solidarity. The third habit is lament. Lament is a, a real biblical word. It's like heavy sorrow and sadness. But it's about my heart breaks because your heart breaks. My heart is broken because you are my brother or you're my sister and you're hurting. And so your pain is my pain. Lament is deeper than anything we know in our culture. Lament means to cry with others, to go further with others, to outcry, to, to be angry when they're angry with social injustices. This is the idea of lament. And lament as a habit helps us lean into racial solidarity. The fourth and last habit, this is going to be the hardest. You ready? You better get your hand ready to rub your tummy, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Fourth habit is the hardest because this is the time where we have to self-examine. This is the time where you and I got to be honest about ourselves, about what we're bringing to the table, our own biases, all the baggage, all the stuff, all the voices that we pay attention to and listen to for guidance, all the media streams, all the news. That's fine. But the point is, is that you and I have to challenge ourselves to really examine what we're bringing into this, into this conversation. What is our worldview? What are our biases? What are those experiences that stand out in our lives that really matter when it comes to this issue? You and I need to really self-examine as a habit. 
because we dishonor the image of God. We dishonor the image of God when we do not take time to examine our own assumptions. Remember, following Jesus can turn up your world, can literally like turn it over, upside down. And you and I, when we're not willing to go there, we're, it's like we're telling God, I just want a little above you. I just, wanna, I just wanted to push myself a little bit in this area, God. Not too far. I don't want it to hurt. I don't want it to be uncomfortable. But we can't be there, church. Not on this issue. Not on racial solidarity. Not when our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering and hurting. That is not who we are called to be. Here's what I want to do. I, wanna, I want you to look at this collage of beautiful faces. Isn't this awesome? All these beautiful people. It's just some random people that are our uh, arts team put together. And as you're looking at them, I want, I want to ask you a few questions that might challenge you a bit. Don't blurt out your answers out loud, okay? <laughs> this is all for you quietly, but I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just ask yourself honestly for some answers. Here's the first one. Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race that I don't trust? Why? Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race I and my child cannot marry? What type of people cause me to cross the street when I'm walking alone? Why? What if anything happens to me inside when I see interracial couples kissing or holding hands? And why do I feel that? What type of person do I trust with the things that really matter in my life, like my money or my mortgage or finding houses? When was the last time that I visited the home of someone from a different culture or different race? Or when was the last time that I actually invited somebody to my home from a different culture and a different race? What biases do I bring into this conversation? What assumptions do I bring about other people and culture into this conversation? Tell me, right? Our intention is not to beat up or challenge or make any more division in what we're already experiencing together. Our intention, my intention, is not to shame anyone. It's simply to be honest, to be authentic people of the light of the world, who is Jesus. And we have a first priority, friends, brothers, and sisters, to address this issue in our midst, in our churches, and in the wider culture. There should be no equivocation where the church stands on these issues. And I do, I do lament. And my heart is sad sometimes when I see the church take sides or push this issue into politics. Has no interest. There's, there's a time and a day for that. What we're talking about is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is very clear about him, his father, and what the kingdom of God is all about. So where do we go from here? I'm not going to leave you hanging. I want you to take some next steps with me. My job is to help you and help myself continue to grow 
and align my life in Christ. And I know that as I was preparing for this message and praying through it, thinking about remembering the past, thinking about my own opinions about our history uh, of this great nation, learning to listen well, being willing to lament with those who are hurting, who have suffered injustice, and then just being honest with myself and examining that that has been super helpful to me this week as I've been praying through this message. But here's a couple of next action steps for you. First is, whether it's through your phone or go online, we've created a page of resources for adults, for families, for kids to go through. And you can find everything that you want on that resource page. There's some books, there's some podcasts, there's all kinds of stuff. Because you and I, we got to keep learning. We've got to keep challenging ourselves to understand. So that could be a really good resource. You could scan the QR code and uh, even get it there. Second, and um, um, Lizzie referred to small groups, the undivided cohort starts. I went through this with my wife earlier, uh, late last year, and man, it's awesome. It's awesome. It was a real opportunity for us to wrestle with all of these issues, to really create some friendships and conversation around them, and walk in solidarity with one another. It was beautiful. And I strongly, strongly urge you, if you're feeling this tug in your heart, if you're feeling challenged by this, take the opportunity and go through that undivided cohort. It starts very soon. More information at communitychristian.info. All right, let me land the plane. You and I have to wrestle with something. How we see the world is not how God sees the world, okay? The challenges that you find in being a Christ follower sometimes are because God calls us to a deeper, more holistic union with himself. And we, we could do a whole series on that. What I'm trying to tell you is that God has a dream for this world. And he's asking us, especially those of us who confess Jesus as Lord, to align with that dream. It's a dream where there is no division. There is no strife. There is no injustice. There is no inequality. There is no suffering. There is no death. This is the hope of every Christian. That's where God's story is headed, my friends. The scriptures confess Jesus comes back. We know how the story ends. The story ends as we read it in Revelation 7, 9. It represents God's desire for solidarity amongst his people and those who follow him. So wherever you are in this conversation, these four habits, remember, listen, lament, and examine because God's interested in the work of transforming us, transforming you, and transforming me and bringing us all into a better reflection of his kingdom community and thereby becoming more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these sisters and brothers, and thank you so much for just their willingness to come here today and their desire to lean into this conversation. And Lord, I pray that my words have been helpful, that my words have been um, honest, that my words have connected in a way that brings each of these sisters and brothers closer to you today. Lord, we ask for your help in our nation today. I, I ask for your input and your influence in what is going on in the world today, Lord. 
Whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, those of us in the majority culture in the United States would have said, hey, racism is behind us. Injustice is behind us. Nothing can be further from the truth. In fact, the light is shining on the darkness right now as we speak. Lord, help us individually and collectively to be people of light. Help us collectively and individually to be <laughs> those witnesses of the grace and truth that Jesus brings to us. Help us to walk in solidarity with our friends and neighbors of color, our brothers and sisters who are also created in your image. Lord, you celebrate us. You celebrate our diversity. And our diversity, though, is unity because you are Lord. You are Savior. And we confess all this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.